Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Can I do some Bible teaching time? Put up a hand if you need a Bible, and Glenn is passing some out right now. Put up a hand, and we're going to get a copy to you. If you don't own a Bible, that copy is yours. It's our gift to you. Um, before we do Bible teaching time, um, I want to tell you a story really quickly related to giving. So um, those of you who are regulars, you know the silver buckets at the back. It's, I'm confused. Praise the Lord. Gabriel gets a sandwich this week. So, um, you know the silver bucket is back there, um, and there are a few different online ways to give as well. Um, the, so, those of you who all know Conrad, our youth pastor who just went on to serve in uh, camp ministry, uh, the elders were able to give uh, Conrad and Rachel a goodbye gift, a thank you gift, um, because you guys give generously, your elders and staff and ministry leaders are just able to do what they believe is the right decision in the moment, okay? So you guys gave a gift to the carols to say thank you to them uh, for who they are and who they've been to us and their years of service, and I wanted to say thank you on behalf of the leaders. It feels really good being able to do what you genuinely believe is the right decision. That makes sense? Okay. We all do this with our own personal budgets at home. It is nice to be able to do what you believe is right without having to worry about the money. Sometimes you have to do both of those. I believe this is right and I'm not sure where the money's gonna come from. Uh, but your faithfulness, for those of you who call foundation home, uh, if you're exploring faith, I don't want you to give a dime. It's going to potentially mess up your understanding of your relationship with Jesus. After you worship Jesus as the center of your universe, then your wallet belongs to him along with every other part of your life, okay? Um, you do not need to, yeah, no, Pharisees gave lots of money and that didn't get them into heaven. So um, that was a sermon for free. Um, so anyway, thank you for those of you who call Foundation your church family and um, that you give faithfully and consistently and generously. Uh, page 732, if we just handed you the hardback, everybody else, Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter seven. Um, for those of you A-typers who are already worried, you saw your sermon notes and you see that I'm preaching Daniel seven and you know perfectly well that we preached Daniel five last week and you're already anxious. You've already made a comment on Facebook. What are they thinking? Um, we preached Daniel six in its entirety just a few months ago. And so that's why I'm not doing it again. As much as I would love to be a person who grows in so much wisdom in three months' time, that's just not the case. So I would not have anything new to say to you. So uh, hop on to the church's Facebook page or the YouTube channel or our uh, podcast, and you can hear that sermon where we preached Daniel 6. Uh, again, uh, Daniel and the vegan lions. Like, what is this all about? So we already did that. So we're on to chapter 7 called this sermon, uh, Confusion Plus Jesus. 
If you've read this chapter before and you know Jesus and you've been around church for a while, you'll understand why I called it that. We're getting to the beginning of the second half of the book of Daniel, which are these apocalyptic visions, which just means Daniel is by God. He's being allowed to see pieces of the future. To be more specific, he is seeing things which for him are future. Uh, Theologians debate back and forth about which parts of this have been fulfilled and which ones are still coming. And frankly, I don't have a dog in that fight. What is clear is that God is on his throne and that lets me sleep at night. That's the central theme of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar looks really powerful, but God is on his throne. And Nebuchadnezzar can be thrown down into the grass at a moment's notice. You and I need to be reminded of that when we're afraid of who's president or we're afraid of Supreme Court or we're afraid of who controls the house or some other government or afraid of is Putin gonna you know, cause World War III. These fears and concerns, if we listen deeply to what the Holy Spirit says through the book of Daniel, the Holy Spirit is allowing us to sleep well at night. Putin could be eating grass 30 seconds from now if God says so. Any president, I wasn't asking for political comments. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm trying to, the the fact of the matter is, guys, we are sitting here as the only, I I mean, nuclear weapons make things weird, but we're sitting here as the only world superpower, so we don't really understand this world, okay? Imagine if the, uh, the world superpower isn't you, it's the guy next door, and you're a nobody, and you're a weakling, and they are dominant, and they hate God with every part of their being, and they are led by one person because they're a dictatorship. I try to get your heart and head into what Babylon was. It was utterly terrifying. Utterly terrifying. And I'm not saying America hasn't made gargantuan mistakes, but we at least have separation of powers. Babylon did not have that. Babylon, they want to throw you into a furnace, they throw you into a furnace. It's it's hard to wrap one's heart and head around uh, such a crazy uh, situation. But as we read this, and we're getting into the apocalyptic literature, these visions of the future, you're going to see, especially if, if you're new to the Bible, you're going to hear a lot of symbols and things that frankly are just weird. What is this all about? That's weird. That's weird. That's weird. Wait, that looks like Jesus. And then that's weird. And then that's weird. That's why I can call this confusion and Jesus. And then we're going to unpack some of the things in this chapter that are abundantly clear not spending much, if any, time on the parts that are not, because life is short, amen? Life is short. I I am not going to preach through Daniel and come to you guys with a specific detail, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Anybody remember that book? Yeah, it was revised, 89 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1989. We're not doing that, okay? We're not doing that. We are going to teach what is abundantly clear uh, that Christians have agreed on for, in this case, 2,600 years. All right, chapter seven. Earlier, so this is not in chronological order to the stories that we saw in chapter six. This is some 20 years uh, before chapter six, before Daniel in the lion's den, because this whole section is now about his visions, not about his life circumstances. During the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he laid in his dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a very great sea. 
with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. You guys read this one to your three-year-old night-night time? Huh? No? Okay. Verse six. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. How much passive language have we heard so far? The wings were pulled off. It was told to. Authority was given to it. Are you hearing all this? Who's in charge? Ah, that's not even in the notes. These, and we're going to find out because Daniel says so, these are human, earthly leaders and powers, nations that are strong and they hate God. Who's in charge? Okay, this is going to test our faith. Guys, I'm serious. 12 years of watching the Third Reich do horrible things to human beings, that's going to test your faith when the Bible is saying God is still on his throne. Why does God allow evil in the world? Well, we introduced it, Genesis 3. We brought evil, not him. What are we entitled to? Less than we think we are. Okay. Verse seven. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had 10 horns. As I was looking at the horn, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I watched as thrones were put in place. This is the good part. The ancient one sat down to judge. If you're not reading a dynamic equivalent right now, you probably have the title Ancient of Days. What is your relationship to time if your name is the Ancient of Days? And it's a title. It's a title. Guys, we were born yesterday and we're going to die tomorrow. Ecclesiastes says that if you pull out a a squirt bottle of water, that was your whole life. The Ancient One sat down to judge. You are not going to judge. I am not going to judge. Your political party is not going to judge. Your family is not going to judge. Ideologies dominant in the early 21st century are not going to judge. The ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow. That's a symbol of holiness. He's never done anything wrong. His hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. In case you're new to the Old Testament, fire is almost always a symbol, not only of the Holy Spirit, but a symbol of purging and purifying. You pass through the fire so that what is worthless is burnt away, okay? So this is a a reiterating of the fact that he is sitting to judge. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to him. 
Then the court began its session and the books were opened. Anybody read the book of Revelation before? Does that phrase ring a bell? Books were opened. Okay. By the way, that's, let's read the Bible left to right. Revelation is pointing back to Daniel, not the other way around, right? Talking about the same thing, God sitting on his throne judging. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw something like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Just so you're aware, this is the first time in the Bible that this phrase has been used. Those of you who've been in church a while, what does Jesus keep calling himself during his three and a half year teaching ministry? He is saying, this here is me. Jesus claimed this one for himself. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. What do we know about approaching the presence of God? What do we know from Moses and other occurrences? How does that work? You die, okay? Trivia time, why do you die when you walk up to God? So your spirit can live. Nope. Physical and spiritual death, not just physical death. Sin, God does not tolerate sin in his presence, period. This is why Isaiah sees God and says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, I'm I'm toast. And this is what makes Christmas a miracle. God with us, he put on flesh, so that he could be with his people and not incinerate them for their sin. And he was even called the friend of sinners. He approaches the ancient of days, led into his presence. Verse 14, he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. Holy cow, did you hear that? The Son of Man is given authority over all the nations of the world, and 600 years after this is said, Jesus says, that's me. This is why Josh McDowell and others have been trying to shout at us for a while. He can be Lord, he could be a liar, or he can be a lunatic. Those are our three boxes that we could try to fit Jesus into. And as C.S. Lewis said, He has simply just not given us the option of being some great moral teacher. His words don't allow for that. He has given all authority over all the nations of the world so that people of, why was he given this authority? So that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. Wow. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Do we see a lot of kingdoms in the book of Daniel that are destroyed? right? There's a contrast there. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen, and my visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. How cool is that? 
Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed the three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his people. Church, do you think you can defeat Satan on your own without God? Didn't that just kind of answer that for us? Somebody came and asked me this morning of, hey, do you guys do that prayer huddle every morning? From 8.30 to 8.40, there are some of us that, that get together and we remind our own souls, hey, Jesus, everything this morning is for you. Jesus knows that already. We're not telling him something he doesn't know. We're reminding ourselves. If, if allowed, if permitted, we in our flesh, in our sinfulness, we would run the entire kingdom of God without Jesus if we could. If you don't think that, you, you need to stare longer into the sinfulness of your own heart. We want God's blessings, but we usually don't want his lordship. The flesh never wants Christ's lordship. It is the spirit-born self that celebrates his lordship. He just said the church is going to lose. The church by herself is losing the war until God shows up. That's how this works. That's how this works. The church wouldn't even love God if the Spirit had not given us a new heart. God is the author and finisher of our faith, and he defeats Satan and Satan's people. In the middle of verse 22, then the time arrived for, for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. What have we said a lot in the book of Daniel about the phrase, the whole world? What have we said repeatedly about that phrase? It's often contextual. The whole world that they knew might look very small on a map to us. Okay, so when God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I've given you authority of the whole world. And you and I would look and go, well, he didn't rule over South America. Well, what about Japan? What about Australia? He wasn't over Northern Europe. Like, so this phrase is a colloquial, it, it makes sense to them, okay? I point that out because a lot of theologians believe that this is Rome. I'm not here to pick winners and losers, but this fourth, this fourth beast might very well be Rome because it's talking about the church coming into her own. So this might be, uh, I, I, what I love to say about eschatology is when I get to heaven, it'll be abundantly clear, all right? Uh, but this might very well be Rome for all we know. Rome, from their perspective, ruled the whole world, just as Nebuchadnezzar had done before Rome. Um, da -da 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 -da. What verse was I at? 23, thank you. Then he said to me, the fourth beast is the four devour the whole world, trampling, crushing on its feet. Verse 24, it's 10 horns are 10 kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different from the other 10 who will subdue three of them. 
He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. Also, something we're not getting into today. There's a lot of debate over what have, for us, as 21st century Christians, what has already happened and what is yet future, and sometimes events are both, okay? So it's important when we think of apocalyptic literature, I want you to imagine that you've hopped in the car and you're headed to Tahoe with your family, okay? And it is a beautiful, clear day. And it's before you get to the foothills, so you can still see off into the distance to see the tall mountains of the Sierra Nevadas. It is very possible, in fact, probable, depending on where you happen to be, that two enormous mountains, one of them may be, yeah, they're not maybe this big, Mount Whitney's all the way down, but say there's an 8,000-foot mountain and a 12,000-foot mountain. And one of them, the 8,000, is 50 miles closer to you than the 12, but where you're standing in the valley, their peaks look virtually identical, okay? When God says, this is going to happen in the future, you and I, in our finiteness, in our smallness of understanding, we sometimes think, oh, that's the same. When God might be talking about two or more events, Okay, how many people, listen to the words of the apostles in Acts 1, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, the apostles, hey, so is, is your kingdom coming now? Do we grab swords and defeat Rome now? Dominant theology was that absolutely Messiah was gonna come and he was gonna come once. Because the texts in Isaiah and elsewhere that talk about Messiah you and I, as 21st century Christians, we look at it and one line is talking about the first coming and the very next line is talking about the second coming. And we can see it because Jesus came and he fulfilled a bunch of that, but there are a whole bunch of things that have not yet happened. We can see it a little more clearly because we've gone up the mountain and we go, oh, that was actually two mountain peaks, okay? The point of prophecy is for, not for you and I to know in advance what's going to happen all the time. It is usually to build our faith, God showing off, calling the shot. See, I told you, Trust me. Almost every command of God down beneath it somewhere is, trust me, I love you. I'm going to care for my people. I'm gonna protect my people. Trust me. So I say all that to say this. Some people will swear up and down that this is the Antichrist. They might be right. I will find out when I get to heaven, okay? This might be the Antichrist, but it's not uh, precluding that it could be something that happened with Rome. It could be Antiochus Epiphanes. It could be Titus destroying the temple. It could be all of that. Antiochus Epiphanes and Titus could have been just forerunners showing us what an ultimate antichrist persona might be like. It could be all of those things, okay? The point is, those guys are evil and God is bigger than them. That's, that's where we're gonna camp, okay? Uh, subdue them, verse 25. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under control for what a lot of people presume is three and a half years. Verse 26, but then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever. Whose? The Most High. Then all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. Holy Spirit, would you teach us the word of God today, please? 
If you do not teach us, God, our stubbornness, our hardness of heart will walk out of here the same as we walked in. So Spirit, lead us into all truth, as you said in John 1, that you would. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we ask for this grace. Amen. Okay. Note takers. The first point in your sermon has everything to do with this text, and it's all based off of chapter 12, verse 4. God says to Daniel, I think through an angel, write these things down and keep them sealed for now. Doesn't that give so much hope? When you encounter a book that you don't understand, isn't it cool for God to say in advance, hey, this is gonna slowly become more clear as human history unfolds. This will slowly become made plain. This will, you'll, you'll see it as it comes, okay? I don't think that this church does that. Praise God for Rhodes' teaching and leadership. But some churches, some individual saints, and this is our, our, my call to you today, we can spend a lot of time and energy majoring in the minors, okay? It can be very tempting, especially if I'm trying to avoid a topic where God is talking to me. He's trying to teach me, rebuke me, change my heart on something. I love to bring up something else, okay? Jesus said to Peter, hey, uh, one day people are gonna take you and you're not gonna be able to dress yourself and they're gonna stretch out your hands and you're gonna go where you don't want to go. And what does Peter say? Well, what's gonna happen to John? <laughs> right? God says to Adam, did you eat of the fruit of the tree? Well, that woman you gave me. This, this, is, this is how we roll. God can love us enough to tell us the truth and you and I, we get wiggly. We get wiggly, we get squirrely. Oh, that command is for her, right? Well, what about, well, what about our second vision statement is that we see God leading us to people, become a people, be a training ground for passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Passionate disciples are your first two blanks. Passionate disciples commit themselves to obeying the scripture that they understand. I wanna see some pens moving or some tablets, something, guys. Tattoo it on your neighbor. Passionate disciples commit themselves to obeying the scriptures they understand as opposed to wasting time trying to be that guy. I did this, I was 15 and 16 years old when I said, I'm gonna be the one to figure out when Jesus is gonna return. I found out later that that's a well-worn path. Many of us have decided we're going to be that person. We're gonna figure it out. I didn't know that I could have published a book and made a lot of money. So unfortunately, still have college debt. Uh, could, have, could have fixed that one in advance. What, here's where I believed strongly that the Lord rebuked me. He spoke to me when I was 16 years old. He said, Greg, I was reading through Romans. And he said, Greg, isn't there so much stuff here in this book, Romans? that is clear, that you could be wholeheartedly obeying right now today? Yikes. Yikes. Passionate disciples commit themselves to obeying the scriptures they do understand. They're not gonna spend a bunch of energy on secondary and tertiary stuff. So let me tell you briefly something cool that happened last Sunday at 5.30 over in the Connection Center. Um, by God's mercy in and through you guys' lives, 
we had an info meeting for the future of Foundation Youth. What uh, are a few things that were on my heart for the future of middle school ministry and high school ministry? And hearing from you guys, students and uh, parents and other adults who care deeply about young people, we got to talk, and thank you guys, those of you who were there, um, we got to dream a little bit. And we got to wrestle with a couple of ideas. And uh, I, loved, I loved everything about getting to be with you guys for that time. That was absolutely lovely. Um, I was 20 years old the first time I was made a youth pastor. I'm not saying I recommend that. I'm just saying it happened. It's like telling your kids, hey, when I was a kid, I jumped off the roof, off the trampoline, and then into the pool. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying it happened. Um, there was this ethos in the church that, in which I served. And it was, it's, tragically, it was said with like a, a chuckle. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a joke. Oh my gosh, youth ministry. Oh my gosh, I served my, I did that. I drove the, I drove the church van back in the 70s. I already did that and took him to youth camp and all that. Um, as if it was like military service during Vietnam and you got through your year as fast as you could. I'm very grateful. You guys showed up with all of your hearts and you declared foundation is not a church that thinks high schoolers are a burden. You guys showed up in a big way last week. And I want to say thank you. Um, last week, instead of doing what, what a lot of churches our size normally do, where we designate somebody the youth pastor and they are running around doing everything themselves, Last week, 11 volunteers put their names down on a paper and said, you can count on me to develop junior high and high schoolers to help them love Jesus Christ. You have no idea how much joy it gives me to lead a people that care deeply about, I don't even like using the word teenagers because of the cultural connotations. I'd rather say young adults. Every time you set the bar here, students will surprise you. They'll surprise you over and over. And uh, what I remember from when I was a youth pastor 17 years ago, they're far less stubborn than their parents, <laughs> by and large, by and large. Uh, so, so here's my call to, to the rest of you. 11 people in a world where we could go, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of teenagers. In a world where we could go, oh, pop culture changes so fast every six months, I can't keep up with all of it. In a world where we can go, oh my goodness, I am busy. 11 saints just laid their yes down in front of Jesus not having all the answers. Guys, you know we have to lay our yes down not having all the answers. You know that's how Christian obedience works. I want you to take the ark and I want you to walk into the water. Your feet will be wet before I part the Jordan. That's how this works. So what do you need to lay your yes down? So the Holy Spirit's already been talking to some of you about something that you need to do something you need to stop doing? What is your step of obedience where you've been minoring on, right, okay. Who here has been praying about something but the Bible already told you what to do? Anybody wanna just, my hands up. Anybody ever done that? I've done that, okay. Literally had a young person when I was in youth ministry say, my, my girlfriend's not a Christian and she wants to have sex and I'm praying about it. Uh, 
I'll just stay here in the silence and let you guys, I'll twist in the wind for a little while. Do, do you ask God whether or not you should do what God has already spoken? That is, a, that is like a Jesus-sprinkled disobedience. I'm gonna make this look holy by saying I'm praying about it. Are you kidding me? So foundation, I want to encourage all of us. I wanna challenge all of us with what these 11 have already done. Making disciples of future generations is not a do you do it or do you not, it's how can I help? Period. Some of you need to sign up to be a teacher with foundation kids because there's somebody serving in there right now to the goodness of their heart who's called to youth ministry and you need to free them up. Just saying. Cindy, I wasn't pointing at you. I was just saying. I was just saying. Guys, if you've been in church for longer than a couple of years, you've seen it. There are people that are doing great ministry, filling a slot out of the goodness of their heart because they believe in the kingdom. But deep in their heart of hearts, they believe God wants them to move laterally over to this and you could be the person to help them do that. I know we need at least two, if not three teachers right now in Foundation Kids. We need to step up, okay? We need to love and bless and serve. These 11 have laid their yes down, not knowing all of what it's going to look like. I wanna encourage you to do the same. Your second blank, God is your judge and that is really good news. God is your judge. Look again at verse 10. A river of fire pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels, angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. If you're new to church, this is the final judgment of all things at the end of time. I shouldn't say the end of time because heaven and hell are are eternal. So when God says, okay, I have extended mercy through the blood of my son's cross and I've extended it for a long, long time. I gave people a chance to respond that I'm closing the door. The church age is over. I have been abundantly patient and he judges the nations. That's what this is talking about. This could be really scary, and it is, if we're still in a place where we hate God, if we're still an opponent, we are terrified. We don't want him to judge us. You shouldn't. But what does the church think? What do Jesus lovers think about books being opened? Are you going to try to face Jesus Christ one day being judged by him according to a book that he has been keeping since the moment you were conceived? Do you want to be judged by everything you have ever said, done, thought, or felt? Is there a single one of us that if our whole life was put up on this screen, we would not immediately want to crawl under a rock and die out of shame? The church is thrilled for judgment day because we will walk up and we will be judged according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christians are clothed in his holiness because he took Greg Kaiser's filthiness to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That isn't a cute verse. That is who we are. 
He took my sin to the cross and he took it down into the grave and the old Greg is still in the grave. He's not coming back. The old you, if you love Jesus, not coming back. The resurrection is of the spirit born self. A new you was born on Easter morning. Even if you didn't love Jesus for 2000 years after that. Here's a next step for you if you've been exploring faith. Accept God's judgment of Jesus on your behalf. God poured out all of his hatred at your sin. He poured it onto his sinless son because Jesus chose to die in your place and chose to die in my place. Accept that. Do not stubbornly demand to pay for your own sins. God doesn't want you to do that. We don't want you to do that. You're not gonna want to have done that. God is the judge and the judge of the universe, the only one who has the right to judge is the only one who has paid the ultimate price to offer you mercy. That is good news. We do not want anyone judging us. We right now, we rebel against God. We say, shove off, get out of here. We do not like his law. We do not like his holiness because we want to be God. And I don't want to enter eternity. None of us do want to enter eternity still being in that place where we want to be God. That is a dangerous place. You don't want to walk into, if you have this delusion that you're a lion, you might be boastful enough to go into a lion's cage, but then you're gonna find out the hard way you're not a lion and your delusion's gonna cost you. You are not God. I'm not saying that because I'm angry at you. I'm begging you to humble yourself in front of a Christ who has died for you. You're not God and that's good news. That's good news. That's not bad news. Third, Christians, the kingdom of God is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. Look at verse 18. But in the end, the holy people of the most high will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. What? That's crazy. Look at verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom, the Most High's kingdom, will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. Now, wait up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I thought the Lord's Prayer says to the Father, yours is the kingdom. Do we have a contradiction there? Whose kingdom is this? These verses say it's ours. Jesus' prayer says it's the Father's. Who's right? I have a vote for both, and he's an elder, so you guys aren't allowed to disagree. <laughs> okay, again, break it down for us because we're Americans. A kingdom has a king, and it has citizens. Is it your kingdom? If you travel the highways and byways picking up donkey poo, or if you hold the door open for the prince when he walks through, or if you train the horses, or if you're in the army, or you're a farmer, or you're the king, the kingdom is yours. We're all in the same kingdom. Or you clean the kitchen. Or clean the kitchen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, because we don't want the wedding feast of the lamb to be unsanitary. The kingdom is yours, whether you're the peon 
or you're the king himself, or anywhere in between. The kingdom is yours. That's a beautiful thing. That's an exciting thing. I would love to be a nobody in a beautiful, sinless, perfect kingdom where there's no pain and sorrow. What, what do you need to be a somebody for if Jesus is in charge? We're all gonna be sinless. None of us are gonna be fighting for position and clout any longer. We'll finally be okay with being small. It's gonna be so nice. No more lust for power. And ironically, we will be given that. We're going to rule on behalf the viceroys is a good English word. The delegated authority of the king, we will rule over the earth. What does that sound like? Where are my Bible scholars at? In Genesis 1 and 2, are, human, are humans ruling over stuff? Before we rebelled against God, God said, here's the entire created order, rule over it on my behalf. Fill it with my image of myself, human beings. Human beings ruling over the created order is part of how we are made in his image. God rules and reigns so we look like him when we rule and reign and do so with benevolence and love and good stewardship. We look like our father when we do that. And in the end, at the end of the book, not just at the beginning did he design us to rule over the created order on his behalf for his glory. We're gonna do so at the end. We're gonna rule over the nations. You want to ask me what that looks like? I have no idea. I have no idea. But the church is going to rule over the nations under the delegated authority of Christ. And it sounds like it's going to be great. It sounds like it's going to be great. So my question for you, and this question of the kingdom is mine. Okay, practically. Now, how do, how do I find out if I have taken a good, healthy, emotional ownership of the kingdom of God? I grew up in the church and my dad is a pastor. And so I've, my whole life had to wrestle with this phrase, my church. If you've only ever been to ARCF, now Foundation, you don't know anything of this. But there are churches out there where deacons meetings are all out war. And there are wolves and people are power hungry and they think they own the church. There are churches where people will withhold their tithe until the pastor does what they say. There are churches where they literally have their name engraved on their chair, like that's their spot. And if someone sits in it, they will be informed that, sorry, that's my spot. There are churches where children's ministry cannot function because they will not create space where people can, you cannot run in church. Majoring on the minors, there are places filled with religion and devoid of love. And the phrase, my church, in those places is poison. Because sometimes people think they own and control everything around them, that they're supposed to be in charge. And some people, when they say, my church, and there's joy on their face, they're talking about their family that they love and are loved by. That phrase can mean very different things. My question for you is you. When you say the phrase, my church, do you say it like, oh, my gym? You should come to my gym. It's amazing. It's conveniently located, and everyone's nice, and I like the music. 
you should come to my gym. Oh, and they don't charge you a fee for canceling. It's really easy to leave. Hmm? Really easy to ignore, too. Crunch takes $12.99 out of my checking account every single month, whether I go or not. Easy to ignore. Nobody misses me when I don't show up. Foundation, when we say my church, are we talking about something consumeristic? Would we recommend it like we would recommend my gym? It's really great, you should go. Or do we talk about it more like my family? I love my family. I don't always like my family, but I love my family, right? You don't walk away from a family because of conflict, do you? In the most broken and dysfunctional situations, sometimes, but generally, families fight to get stronger. We are all sinners, and we are going to work this out. We're going to figure it out because we're family. We're going to figure this out. Brothers and sisters, the local church, lowercase c, is the right now practical embodiment for you of the church universal, big C. If the kingdom is yours, how do we ask this practically? We say, hey, is this your church? But we ask it through a family lens, not through a consumeristic lens. Is this your church? Is this your church because it's a short drive? Is it your church because you like the music? Is it your church because the people are nice to you? Right? These are, these are gut questions. These are stand naked in front of the mirror questions. The kingdom is yours, saints. Whether that's here or somewhere else, as long as Christ is exalted, that's great. Is the Bible taught and Jesus Christ and him crucified is preached? Great. Okay. The kingdom is yours. Evangelism is yours. It's not a department of the church. Discipleship is yours. Whether a pastor organizes something or not, helping others follow Jesus, that's yours. Singing to Jesus, even if Melissa's not on this stage, do you know you're allowed to sing to Jesus? You're allowed. It's not against the rules because the kingdom is yours. You know, you're allowed to study the Bible even if somebody's not up here teaching it to you. The kingdom is yours. As it relates to relationship, here's something else I put in your notes. Every, every church that has a plan for how to make disciples, and God help us when we don't, when I grew up, it was called Sunday school. If you've got enough physical space on your property, you can do that. We don't have it. Um, our disciple-making structure is called disciple groups. That plan to put people in relationship with each other, that is the difference between a church being a place or being a people. Those are your blanks. A discipleship structure of getting people into groups, those four-by-fours where we're getting to know each other recreationally or a Bible study, when we are pulled into a relationship with each other, that is the difference between being a place and being a people, okay? You can talk about your gym like a place, but who here knows somebody who's, who's been in CrossFit? Okay, the CrossFit people don't talk about the place that they're in CrossFit. They talk about their tribe, 
that they exercise with. It has transcended, okay? Church is not the mountain. Church are the people who are trying to help me up the mountain. They've been walking with Jesus and they're trying to encourage me. They're trying to teach me. Fall groups are all listed on the back table and I'd love for you to join a group. Those groups are the difference between church being a place or church being a people. We're inviting you into relationship. You need friends. If you don't think you need friends, uh, you're wrong. Boy, am I eloquent. Oh, I'm so eloquent. That was smooth. That rolled off my tongue like butter. If you don't think you need friends, you're wrong. Brought to you by Sesame Street and the number four. Let me pray for us. God, we, because of your position, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, we ask boldly for every single blessing that chapter seven possibly could have for us. God, give it all to us. Because as you change our hearts, you receive glory and we love each other better and we love the world better. So make foundation exactly who she ought to be. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, Amen. Two things I want to share with you by way of announcements, and then we're going to watch a quick Faith Life video. Number one, please mark your calendars if you're a responsible person. Otherwise, we'll make sure to get it out on Facebook and email as well. Sunday, September 11th at 5 p.m., we're having a potluck in the Connection Center. 5 p.m. on September 11th, we're having a potluck uh, followed shortly thereafter by a church business meeting. If you're a regular, you know we have church business meetings annually normally, and we're taking a look at the annual budget, but you have to have a special called one if you want to have additional business to do. Next week, next Sunday, uh, we're gonna pass out physical copies, we can email it out as well, of two articles of our bylaws that the elders have been working hard on as the months have gone by to revise what currently says Senior pastor, Greg's in charge of everything, and a board of elders who just handles businessy stuff. We have rewritten those two sections to say, we believe the Bible says elders are a team of shepherds. Greg is not supposed to rule from his throne with his scepter. And as a team, they're going to handle some of the biggest decisions of the church, especially doctrine. And so we're going to put that in your hands next week, and you're going to have two weeks to read it, think about it, pray about it, talk with the elders. If you have any concerns, thoughts, disagreement, we'll have two weeks to talk. And then at that church business meeting, right in the room live, you'll be able to ask the elders, hey, I don't understand this line, or what about this? And we'll be able to flesh it out because we'll be having a church vote one week after that to adopt these uh, changes. In addition, it's a very small note, in addition, our bylaws still say Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, so we'll also be recommending that the bylaws change to say Foundation Christian Church. Um, but anyway, you'll have that in your hand next week, two weeks later on September 11, we'll have a Q&A after a potluck. The potluck is to bribe you, I wanna be clear. I want to make sure you show up because this part of the kingdom is yours. It's yours. Uh, secondly, um, 
Foundation Youth, we're having a formal kickoff in the middle of September, but we are already meeting. Uh, Youth group is going to be tonight at 5.30 in the Connection Center. Uh, I hear that Mr. Matt has a great game planned that is going to be bananas. So if you've got a 6th through 12th grader, if you are that 6th through 12th grader, make sure to come tonight. Uh, We are working on actively building that team. Um, If you're interested in perhaps joining, those of you who've already signed up to join, tonight at Youth Group, I'm going to bring uh, our volunteer covenant of, hey, here's what we're asking of volunteers. So you'll get a chance to look at that. And over the next couple of weeks, we will work through that uh, together. All right? So we're going to watch a quick video, and then we're going to hear from Melissa uh, about what we're going to do for Faith Life as a church. Fine, Brian. Totally. Take care. So Faith Life is our new church communication tool. Um, All the rest of the stuff that you saw on there, the TV and all that stuff, that's all included um, as well. But today, um, after the service, um, like 10 minutes after service, um, I'm just going to go through kind of a quick overview of what it is if you... If you want to use it, and I know not everybody is going to use it, what what it does is it allows us to communicate with one another. It's kind of like a Facebook feed in that sense. It's got um, kind of alerts like that. If any, if you don't know what Facebook is, then this will look like Facebook. I don't know. Um, you can uh, talk to individual people. There's also a member directory online. Um, so there's just a lot of things. And then giving's a, a huge portion of it, too. That's where we're going to be shifting everything over. So if you do recurring gifts, you're going to want to merge into Faith Life. Um, anyways, so 
after service today, I've got a few tutorial videos if you want to use it and you're just not sure technologically. Um, if you want to stay for that, we can do that. You should have received an email with an invite if we have your email. Um, if not, we might not have your email. So let me know that too. Um, so yeah, I just want to make sure and invite everyone to be a part of it. Like I said, the TV courses. I mean, they've got um, Logos is also a part of that too, which is um, an awesome source of information, Bible information, things like that. So anyways, that's what I have to say. And so if you want to stay uh, for the info meeting, feel free and we'll be in this room. So, and I think that is it. So goodbye. No, I mean, so, so bless you and we'll see you next week. <laughs>